0: Thessalonians chapter 5. The Bible has a whole lot to say about giving thanks. In fact, the, the command to be thankful is mentioned somewhere around 139 times in the Bible. Now, you may not necessarily recognize that, and it's not always thankfulness. Sometimes it's thankful, sometimes it's thanks, sometimes it's thanks. But along with praise and rejoice, give thanks is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. Give thanks. I think God's trying to tell us something and certainly something that should get our attention. When you see it 139 times in the Bible, a lot of those are mentioned in the Psalms, but many times in the Old Testament, in fact, uh, sorry, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote about giving thanks just himself alone 46 times. The Apostle Paul, through his epistles, Paul encouraged us to give thanks. Perhaps his most challenging charge is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And here in the middle of some very important instructions for holy living, Paul drops a verse that can only be understood in context as something that makes us or helps make us holy. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse number 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything That's the challenge. That's the hard part. When we count our blessings, we're grateful for the things that God's done. We're grateful for the things that he's supplied us with. And when we sit down to start talking about the things that God has done for us, we can come up with a lot of different things. And we have a list a mile long of things that God's done for us. And so we happily give thanks. That's pretty easy to do. But we have a harder time thanking him when things don't go the way that we want them to go. Have a harder time thanking him when they don't go the way that we had planned for them to go. Yet Paul says give thanks in everything. And he said not only give thanks, but that it is the will of God for us. You want to know the will of God for your life? There's lots of verses in the Bible that tell us what God's will is. Now maybe that's not, you know, go do this, go go, you know, do this as a career, go live here, go do that. Maybe not those things necessarily, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that say this is God's will. And this is about as plain as it can be. Give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. Paul was speaking in theory, or was he speaking by personal experience? I think, I think the answer is pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Paul was not speaking by something that he said theoretically would work, give thanks in everything. You look at what the Apostle Paul went through, and he went through probably some of the worst things that you could possibly go through when it comes to persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he had almost a whole chapter where he listed all the things that he suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. And yet, he can still say 46 times in his epistles, give thanks. Give thanks. You remember back to your school days when you dressed up for spirit week? Some of the kids still do that, and and the school that I went to, we didn't have Spirit Week. We didn't we didn't dress up and do all that stuff. But uh, Gilgrove Baptist School, where I taught for ten years, where our kids go to school now, they do Spirit Week, and I know the kids loved it when they get to that. And one of the one of their favorite days is Blue and Gold Day. That's the colors. That's the that's the school colors, blue and gold. And they always try to do it where it corresponds on the same day as a basket, like a home basketball game, and so everybody dresses up and and. Uh, you know, decks out in blue and gold, and they make posters and banners and everything else, and they're proud to represent the school. And I, I mean, I remember the same. We didn't have Spirit Week, but I remember the, the feeling and the thrill of putting on a jersey that had our school name on it, and just the, the, uh, the, the responsibility, but the, the thrill of being able to wear that jersey and, and the heritage and, and everything that it represented. I was proud to be a part of that team. I was proud to be from that school. I was proud to be from that church. When I was in Romania with Brother John a couple years ago, it's hard to believe it was a couple years ago already that we went over there, but we got to visit one of the, ca- the, the castle of uh, the king of Romania. He was not the king anymore, um, and they don't have a king as far as their, their government and all that stuff goes, but uh, his castle, uh, Castle Peles was an, I mean, that was the first castle I'd ever visited. I'm sure there's probably castles that are a little bit more ornate or bigger or whatever else, but this thing was huge. And we got to walk through there and, and just see everything. And one of the most impressive rooms was the armory. And you walk in there and there's just armor hanging on the walls and swords and spears. And, you know, they didn't have guns back then. But they had a little bit of everything that you could think of that you could use as a, as a weapon. But one of the things that stuck out to me, and I was, I was going back through and looking at some of the pictures uh, just uh, last night, night before. And right there above the mantle, above the fireplace, is a big family crest of their, uh, of their, their um, uh, official, family, uh, official family crest, I guess is what it was. But they wore that on, their, uni- on their, their uniforms. They wore that on their armor. They wore that on their shields. They wore that on everything because they were proud to represent Romania. They were proud to represent that family. And of course, you know, many, many families have a crest you know, that, that they've developed over the years, especially if you can trace your heritage way back because they're proud of that and they want to represent that. It was something they were proud to wear. It was something they wanted to show because it represented who they were. And I think in in much the same way, I think that's how God intends thankfulness to be from his children. That's the title of the message this morning, Let Your Thankfulness Show. I want to give you a few ways that we can show our thankfulness to God. And I'm sure there's a lot of different things that we could say, but I I came up with three things this morning that I want to share with you that I think will be helpful for us in showing God our gratitude, showing God that we truly are thankful for everything that he's done for us. Let's pray, and we'll look at a couple things this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Pray that you'd give us something from your word this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3, if you will. The first thing I want you to see, and, and the first way, honestly, that we can show our thankfulness to God, is that we can show thankfulness by showing up to God's house. Show thankfulness by showing up to God's house. We're commanded to be thankful. I find it interesting what it accompanies, uh, what is accompanied by that command in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to, uh, to the which also ye are called in one body, and here's the command, and be ye thankful. Now, hopefully you recognize the next verse because we're working on memorizing it for this, this month. But verse number 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, it's difficult, if not impossible, to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms if you're not gathered together in the fellowship of believers, right? That happens at church. You ought to make church a priority. The attitude ought not to be, well, I can't think of anything else that I can use as a good excuse to not be at church, so I guess we'll just go to church today, right? No, the attitude ought to be, Clear everything off the schedule, it can wait. We get to go to church today. Amen. Amen. I can count on one hand the number of times that I missed church since I was born, and that would, that would be if I had three fingers cut off. I, I've tried to do that a couple times in my shop, but it didn't work. But uh, I don't know how many times I've missed church, but I can tell you it's probably only once or twice, maybe three or four times in my entire life. And that, that has a lot more to do with my parents than it does with me, because I can guarantee you there have been times that I would skip church if I could have skipped church when I was growing up. We didn't skip church. We we were there. And you say, well, you know, you're the pastor. You have to be there. And you're God's child. You need to be here too. The fact that I can be here every single week and that the majority of you can be here every single week just proves that you really can clear everything off your schedule and get here for church and clear everything else away that's less important. I can't think of anything that's more important than being in God's house on Sunday. If you give yourself a way out, you'll find it. If you give yourself an excuse, you'll find it. If you give yourself a reason not to be here, you'll take it. Make church a priority. If the doors are open, you ought to be here. You say, well, I get here on Sunday morning and that's enough for me. And then you go home on Sunday afternoon and stuff your face. And Sunday night and you stuff your face. And Monday morning you stuff your face. And Monday afternoon and Monday night and, and on and on and on. You, you get the point. But we say, well, I'm going to take care of my physical needs. My body needs that. But my spiritual, well, I can handle one small meal a week. Oh, it's important. It's important that you be here. We put a premium on our physical nourishment and think that that one small meal a week is enough to sustain us in this sin-sick world. It's not. We have Sunday school because we need it. We have Sunday morning because we need it. We have Sunday night because we need it. We have Wednesday night because we need it. Not because we're just trying to fill a schedule, not because we just think, well, hey, this would be great. Let's get together in fellowship. That's a benefit, but we need those things. We have special meetings from time to time because we need it. This sin-sick world needs us to be what God needs and wants us to be. I need it. You need it. Our families need it. I don't know if you saw this five or six years ago. I think every kind of around the holiday times it comes back up again, but. There was a German commercial, it's the, the commercial is in German, but it's got English subtitles and it was kind of making its rounds on YouTube, but um, it, he, an old man is sitting alone in his house and one by one he gets a voicemail or a text from his grown children who tell them they're not going to be able to make it that year for their holiday meal. And you know, voicemail, hey, I miss you, I love you, we're not going to be able to make it this year, maybe we can, maybe we can get together around Easter time. And then the commercial cuts to this old man sitting there alone at his kitchen table eating a holiday meal by himself. And one by one, the grown children, as this commercial goes on, I don't know, it's about a minute, minute and a half long. But one by one, as the commercial goes on, his grown children start to get text messages on their phone. And one of them's a doctor, one of them's a lawyer, one of them's a businessman, one of them's a mother with a bunch of children around her at home. And slowly their eyes start to fill with tears and they pull out the picture of their father and grandfather and they start looking at it. You can tell exactly what happened. And they gather in all black outside of his house. And together they walk into that house. And as they walk in, they see that the table is all set up with uh, all the, the plates and cups and everything else as a, for a holiday dinner. And there's actually candles burning on the table. And then the old man walks from around the corner in the kitchen. And he says in his old man voice, how else could I have brought you all together? I fear that that's one day going to be the church. We won't realize what we have, and we won't realize how important it is until we no longer have it. Then we'll wish we could gather. Then we'll wish we had been faithful. Then we'll wish we could have cherished it and would have cherished it all along. Show your thankfulness by showing up to God's house. But the second thing, and the second way that we can show our thankfulness is By showing up to serve. Show your thankfulness by showing up to serve. Back in Colossians in chapter two, one of the greatest ways to show thankfulness for what what someone has done for you is to do something for them in return, right? Colossians chapter two and verse number six says this, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. When your heart overflows with gratitude, it's gonna overflow with a desire to serve at the same time. I think the opposite of that is true as well. When you're too busy or too lazy or, too, or, or have no desire to serve, then you prove that your heart is not overflowing with gratitude. When somebody does something for you, especially if they're not expecting anything in return, you want to give back to them. You wanna do something for them. You wanna show them that you appreciate it. And I know if somebody gives you a gift, they're not expecting something back in return. But sometimes when somebody just goes out of their way to do something special for you, you want to. what, what can I do in return for that person? What can I do to, to serve them? They served me. They, they gave me that. I'm so thankful for what they did. What can I do in return? But none of us would probably care to admit that or say it out loud because we always have a good reason why we can't serve. But the truth is that when your heart is... Just like church attendance, when your heart is, when your heart is full of, of a desire to serve, when your heart is full of thankfulness, then you'll make time for the things that you think are important. Just, just try telling a guy that he wanted an all-expense-paid hunting trip out west somewhere, and he can go out and shoot elk or something like that. It, it wouldn't matter if that hunting trip was on the day of his wedding. He would postpone his wedding, right? You can always get married. You can't always go on an all-expense-paid hunting trip, Right? Tell a lady she's won a $1,000 shopping spree, but it has to be on this day. She's going to postpone the birth of a child to go roam those aisles. I can tell you that much. Right? We will make time for the things that we think are important. But tell a Christian there's a need for laborers in the field of God's harvest, and all of a sudden there's just too many things that need to be done from the comfort of the couch. Boy, I think our priorities get messed up so many times, but I think all it does is prove that we just don't really have a heart of thankfulness for what God's done for us. Showing thankfulness by serving also involves giving. See, so you, can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Amen. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. The Baptist preacher, Dr. George W. Truitt, been gone for quite a few years now, but he had accepted an invitation from a church to preach the dedication service for their new building. And he got to the church about 10 minutes before the service started, and he was told that the church needed to raise $6,500 by the next day in order to finish paying for the building. Now, this will tell you how long ago that was $6,500 to pay a building off. But the church officers, the deacons, or whoever it was, told him that they were depending on him to raise the money. Well, Dr. Truett got up and he preached a sermon, and then he said, These men tell me that you need to raise $6,500 in cash which is due tomorrow for you to pay off the building. And after he made his appeal, he began this, you know, or not he, but, but it began as, as just a slow, reluctant, Christ-shaming offering that he had ever witnessed. And at the time they counted it all up, they had raised $3,000, $3,500 short of what they needed. So Dr. Truett said, what do you expect of me? I'm your guest. I don't happen to have the other $3,500. What do you expect of me? And a little woman that was sitting about three-quarters of the way back in that auditorium stood up, and her husband was the one that was up on the stage keeping records of how much had been given and keeping track of it, and she said, Charlie, I wonder if you'd be willing for us to give our little cottage that we just paid out of debt. We were offered $3,500 in cash if we would trade that cottage for that money. We have 10 days to make that trade at the bank. You think we ought to do it? And Charlie, as he sat up there in the front, he responded in the same spirit. He said, Jenny, I was just thinking the same thing. We'll give that $3,500. And silence in that church. It was dead silence as the people just thought about what they had witnessed. And in just a matter of moments, grown men started sobbing. And almost in a moment, that $3,500 was given by men and women in that auditorium. They didn't need the little old couple to give that cottage. They had the money. They just had to be convinced to give it. They just had to be convinced of of a thankful heart. A lot of visitors had actually come for that special service. It was the dedication of their building after all. And before an invitation was given, men and women started coming down the aisle, Christians that were getting right with God, unsaved, that needed to be saved, and were coming to kneel before the altar and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. The gratefulness of that one couple for what the Lord had done for them, and their desire to give to him prompted others to give, and it prompted many people to get saved, it prompted many people to get right with God. When God gives you a heart of gratitude, he'll also get your heart for service, because those two cannot be separated. When God has your heart and you're thankful, he'll have your heart of thankfulness and he'll have your heart of service. Both of them go together. We ought to show thankfulness by showing up to God's house. Show thankfulness by showing up to serve. But number three, and lastly, turn over to Psalm 107. We show thankfulness by showing up at the foot of the cross. And I know that most, if not all, that are in here this morning have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But perhaps you have not. Perhaps you've never been to the foot of the cross and knelt before that cross to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you this. If you've never knelt at the foot of the cross for salvation, then you, essentially you're making the death of Christ of none effect. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross if you're not going to accept him? You, make, you made his death of, of no importance. I was a sinner. I was on my way to hell Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for that sin in my place. Psalm 107 and verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Had it not been for his mercy, I would never have been born into a Christian family. Had it not been for his mercy, I never would have been able to hear the message of the gospel. Had it not been for his mercy, I never would have had an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and have an assurance of that home in heaven someday. There has to be a day, there has to be a time when you kneel at the foot of the cross, accept the payment that Jesus Christ paid on that cross, realize that you're a sinner, and ask him to forgive those sins and come into your heart and save you. In 1860, a ship by the name of the Lady Elgin was rammed by another ship named the Augusta and sank in Lake Michigan near Evanston, Illinois. And there was a ministerial student, he was in college at the time at Moody Bible Institute by the name of Edward Spencer. And he waded into that water again and again and rescued people and brought them back to shore and he kept going back out. The water was freezing cold. And as a result of, of what he had done, and he was, he, his health was permanently damaged. And he lived a, quite a bit longer. I mean, he lived a, 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 a decently long life, but it was very obvious to the doctors and to everyone else that his life was cut short because of this illness that he contracted when he was rescuing those people. And at his funeral some years later, it was noted that not one of those people that he rescued ever came back to tell him thank you not one. So many people not realizing, I think, or realizing it and not caring that the debt has already been paid and that Jesus Christ gave his life to pay the debt that we owe that we could never pay back. Never show their thankfulness by kneeling at the foot of the cross and accepting Jesus Christ as their savior. Well, I believe the story. I believe Jesus died on the cross. It's a great story. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we have Easter, right? But it's it's so much more than just knowing a story of Jesus Christ. It's realizing what he's done for you. Realizing that without his death on the cross, I will spend an eternity in hell. Without his death on the cross, I will never see heaven. Without his death on the cross, I could never have my sins forgiven. He did that for me. And a heart of thankfulness will kneel at the foot of the cross and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But a heart of thankfulness is also going to kneel at the foot of the cross in confession. Oh, we wander through the muck and the mire of this world. And inevitably, we're going to get dirty. It's hard to walk through mud without getting some of it on your feet. But we need to make sure that when we get away from that muck and away from that mire, and we need to make sure we do pull ourselves away from it, that we get clean, we get right, make sure that we're right with God. A young man named John had received a parrot as a gift. And that parrot, he had no idea exactly where it had come from or, or you know, the, the, the home that it had grown up in, but that parrot had a bad attitude and uh, even worse vocabulary. Every word out of that bird's mouth was rude, it was obnoxious, it was laced with profanity, and this, this young man was a Christian and he thought, I can't have a parrot like this in my house. And so John tried and tried to change that bird's attitude by just consistently saying only polite words by playing soft uh, classical music and and anything he could think of to clean up that bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. And that parrot yelled back. And so John, he shook the parrot and, and, and the more he shook him, the ruder the parrot got. And finally, he was just kind of at his wit's end and he threw up his hands and he grabbed that bird and he put him in the freezer and slammed the door shut. And that parrot, you could just hear him just, you know, squawking and kicking and screaming, and all of a sudden it was completely silent. Not a peep was heard for over a minute, and John was afraid that maybe he had actually hurt the bird, so he went running over to the freezer, and he opened that freezer door, and the parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched finger. And he said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and my actions, and I'm seriously and sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions And I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was shocked. You know, He was stunned at this change in the bird's attitude. And he was about to ask the parrot what made such a dramatic change in his attitude just in that short time. But the bird said, may I ask what the turkey did? (laughs) See, once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it ought to make a new person out of you. When you realize what you've been saved from, we should never let anything come between us and our Savior. Keep short accounts with God. You're close. Turn over to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, in verse number one, the Bible says this, sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him, all the earth. You ought to keep short accounts with God. He deserves to be praised. He deserves to have that honor. He deserves to have our thankfulness. And the way that we show our thankfulness is having a right relationship with him. You, could you imagine how it would be? And, 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 and if you have kids that are in this situation, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to bring that out. But could you imagine you raise kids that, that you try to, try to get to serve for God, or try to raise them for God, and they just completely turn their backs on everything that, that you try to teach them? How do you think that would make you feel? You think, oh, you know what? They're really thankful for everything that I've done for them, aren't they? Look at how they're living their lives. Or would you have to say, I don't know. Maybe they're just not thankful for anything that I give them. Right? Now, how do you think God feels with us? When he's done so much for us, he daily loadeth us with benefits. His mercies are new every morning. He gives us so much more than we can even comprehend and then we turn our backs on him. We don't keep those short accounts with God. We don't make sure that we're right with him. We don't care about our relationship with him, right? A a parent and a child that have a good relationship are going to be on speaking terms, right? They're not going to let anything come between them. And the same thing is true with God. God is our father. And if we want to have that right relationship with him and we want to show our thankfulness for him, then we're going to make sure that there's nothing between us. We're going to make sure that there's nothing that's causing a rift. We're going to make sure that there's nothing that's causing a division, right? And yet so often we sin and we sin and we sin and we say, well, God's going to forgive it. He'll he'll be fine with that. I, I didn't really mean to do it in the first place. We never kneel at the foot of the cross and confess our sins before him and get those things right with him and make sure that our relationship with him is what he wants it to be with us. I can assure you that God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a close relationship with you. Look what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? God and Adam, they would get together and walk in the cool of the day, and then Adam sinned, and all of a sudden there was something between them. And God knew, but he came down and he said, Adam, what's the matter? We used to walk in the cool of the day. You're not here. You're hiding. Why? God wants to have a relationship with us. We're the ones that get in the way so often. We allow that sin that most of us know are there to stay there and fester. And what we should be doing is getting that out by the roots, getting it out of our life, so that God can use us, so that God can bless us, so that we can show God that we truly are thankful for what he's done in dying for us on the cross and what he's done for being the intercessor for us on a daily basis and for giving us those new mercies every single day and daily loading us with, loading us with benefits. Oh, we want, the, we want the benefits of being a child of God, but so often we want to shirk the responsibility of being his child. And one of the responsibilities of being his child is to be clean, to be right, to make sure that we're living for him. What a great God we serve. He gives and gives and gives to us, and all he expects is a little thanks in return. And then we show him thanks by living for him. He piles those blessings on even more. How, how you, you can never outgive God. You cannot outthank God. God. You, you just can't do for him when he won't do back for you tenfold. We don't do it for those reasons, but when you, when you show God that you're thankful, he blesses you, and then it makes you even more thankful, and he blesses you even more because you're giving back to him, and I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about your time, your effort, your relationship. You put effort into that, and he'll give you back tenfold. Psalm 31 and verse 19. In fact, turn over there, and we'll be done. Psalm 31 and verse number 19. says this, Psalm 31, verse number 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Oh, how great is thy goodness. Many people tend to focus on the few things that aren't perfect in life instead of the hundred things that are. Thousands of things that are, I'd venture to say. Peanuts cartoon showed Charlie Brown bringing Snoopy his dinner on Thanksgiving Day. It was just his usual dog food. And Snoopy looked down at the bowl and he said, this isn't fair. The rest of the world is getting a big, nice Thanksgiving meal, and all I have is this nasty little bowl of dog food that I get every single day. And then in the next little box, the next little part of that comic... Snoopy is thinking in his mind, and he says, I guess it could be worse. It could be the turkey. <laughs> there's always somebody that has it worse than you do. And I don't mean that to say, oh, well, you ought to be thankful. You, you know, you're, you're going through all these rough, difficult, hard times. Somebody's always got it worse. They do. But there's so many things that we could be thankful for. So many things, so many blessings that God gives us. How is your thankfulness this morning? Are you really showing God that you love him or are you just saying it to appease yourself and God? Are you showing your thankfulness by showing up at church every time you have the opportunity? Have you made it a priority in your life? Are you showing your thankfulness by showing up to serve? You know, there are lots of doors that need to be knocked on in this community. There are lots of ministry opportunities that need to be filled. Are you serving in a way that shows that you're thankful? Are you showing your thankfulness by showing up at the foot of the cross? Have you been there for salvation? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And once you have, do you show up there daily to confess your sins? Do you show up there daily to get things right with God? Because that's how you show God that you're really thankful this Thanksgiving season. I know there's probably a lot of other things that we could say that would show that we're thankful. But I think if we could wrap it up in those things, you want to be holy, you want to be right with God, you'll show him that you're thankful. Part of that is just wanting to be in his house, be together. Be together with the other people of God who are going in the same direction. Doing what he wants us to do, living how he wants us to live, serving wherever we can serve. We can't all do everything, but we can all do something. Are you doing something? the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. We say thank you so often, and I wish we could mean it so much more. We say that we love you so often, and I wish we could mean it so much more. God, I believe what we've talked about this morning will at least give us a good start in helping to show that we're thankful for what you've done. And God, I do pray that if there is somebody in this room this morning that's not saved, that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior today. Beyond that, I pray that we'd live for you. I pray that we'd show that we love you by being involved in church, being involved in the ministries, being involved in in telling other people about Jesus Christ, being involved in doing whatever we can to advance the cause of Jesus Christ in this dark world, being involved in making sure that our lives are clean being involved in making sure that we're bringing others along with us. And God, I pray that you just continue to speak to our hearts this morning. And where you have, I pray that decisions would be made. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking around. I want you to feel like you can come forward this morning if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. There is no more important decision, nothing you can do more to show God that you're thankful, to show Jesus Christ that you're thankful than by stepping out of your seat and making a decision to accept him as your Savior. He gave you the greatest gift you could ever receive. I wonder if you'll accept it. But if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart this morning, about a need to show some more thankfulness in your life. And not just say, oh, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, but to show it, to show it by the way that you live. If God's spoken to your heart this morning as the piano plays, the invitation is open and you can come.